Hello and welcome to the Lancet podcast. Richard Lane here on Friday, January the 8th. This week we're going to focus on a major epidemiological research article concerning C-reactive protein. But just before that, here are some other content highlights from the issue which is dated January the 9th to the 15th. Do look out for the long editorial concerning sleeping sickness, very much a neglected tropical disease, links to a seminar about sleeping sickness in the issue. And we continue the Neglected Tropical Diseases series launched last week. Also look out for some lively correspondence concerning lung cancer and HRT. And in research articles, all published online previously, we have the DART trial, which is looking at the monitoring of antiretroviral therapy for HIV in less developed countries. And also the release study, which is looking at umbilical vein injection of oxytocin for the treatment of retained placenta. But let's return to the research article concerning the inflammatory marker C-reactive protein and its potential association with a variety of diseases. Earlier, I spoke to John Danesh, who is Professor of Epidemiology and Medicine at the University of Cambridge here in the United Kingdom. C-reactive protein is a blood protein that's produced by the liver. And it gets its name C-reactive protein because when it was discovered some 80 years ago or so, its discoverers noticed that it bound to the C sugar residue, the C polysaccharide of streptococcus, the throat bacterium, and hence they called it C reactive protein. Um, Although it's been studied intensively for many decades, what its role is in normal people or in diseased people, still remains something of a mystery in terms of its biological function. It probably has something to do with the immune system, and, uh, and, and there's, some, um, there's some work in that area. But because there's no deficiency of C-reactive protein that occurs normally, um, actually its, its biological function remains a little bit of a mystery. We know that it's a very sensitive indicator of so-called inflammation or the body's response to tissue damage, injury, or infection. And it has an incredibly wide dynamic range. So its levels in the blood can uh, increase 1,000, even 10,000-fold in response in the hours and days in the aftermath after such an acute phase uh, reaction. Its interest in epidemiology, and particularly in cardiovascular epidemiology, has been awakened in the last 10, 15 years by the realization that it's a very robust uh, protein that can be measured in long storage samples, and that despite its spikes in response to these acute stimuli, its long term levels within people are pretty um, consistently regulated, about the same amount of consistency as, say, in blood pressure or blood cholesterol over a few years' time. And therefore, with increasing interest in the possibility that the process of inflammation generally may be relevant to the etiology, to the causation of cardiovascular disease, there's been great interest in the measurement of C-reactive protein as an indicator or even as a possible causal factor itself in cardiovascular disease. Can you outline the specific aims of the current study and particularly how you coordinated this very large international piece of epidemiology involving hundreds of thousands of patients from many centers across the world through your collaborative group, the Emerging Risk Factors Collaboration. 
So the Emerging Risk Factors Collaboration is an international consortium of investigators from more than 100 long-term medical surveys, so-called prospective observational studies, that have looked at various risk factors for cardiovascular disease in relation to the subsequent occurrence of heart attacks, strokes, um, other cardiovascular outcomes, and indeed uh, non-vascular outcomes. The Emerging Risk Factors Collaboration has its origins uh, several years ago uh, when uh, the coordinating center based at the University of Cambridge and uh, investigators from around the world uh, agreed to embark on an undertaking to help try to reduce uh, uncertainties and to address important questions related to a, a broad range of risk factors, including C-reactive protein, but also a number of other factors in, in cardiovascular disease. So investigators from around the world um, have shown uh, a great deal of, uh, of collaborative spirit uh, uh, to band together to deposit their primary records from each of their very important studies in a central database um, that has been uh, checked and harmonized, and then uh, analyzed uh, afresh using some novel statistical methods that have been uh, adapted or developed for the analysis of such a big uh, database based on multiple studies. So the Emerging Risk Factors Collaboration um, uh, comprises information on over 1.2 million people in up to 120 long-term prospective studies. Um, and the typical person in the collaboration has been monitored for about a decade, so it's about 12 million person years at risk, and it provides an unusual opportunity to look in, uh, uh, in detail and with considerable power at the uh, impact of various risk factors, including CRP, on the risk of, of, of uh, vascular disease and other conditions. Now, a subset of the people in the study had uh, information recorded on C-reactive protein plus conventional risk factors and other characteristics. And so the focus of the paper recently published in The Lancet is on the 160,000 or so individuals with such information. Can you summarize the results? And clearly there is an enormous amount of data in the study, so no time to go through all of it. But in summary, what do you think are the top-line findings, particularly in relation to associations between CRP concentrations and non-vascular disease outcomes? The main analyses were based on the 160,000 so individuals who had no initial uh, history of cardiovascular disease, who were monitored on average for about seven or eight years of, of follow-up, derived from the 54 long-term studies with CRP measurements. And amongst those 160,000 or so, about 28,000 developed a fatal or non-fatal vascular or non-vascular uh, disease outcome during the, the time of monitoring. And the, the main analysis focused on the extent to which the associations of CRP with these disease outcomes were independent of known risk factors, to what extent they were specific, uh, how strong they were, and, and what was the shape of the associations. And those were the, the main uncertainties that, uh, that were identified before the, the analysis were undertaken. So the key findings were that CRP levels are um, associated with a range of known risk factors and other characteristics, and that the shape of that association is more or less a straight-line relationship, that CRP is associated 
with the risk of ischemic vascular diseases, stroke, and coronary disease. But much of that association depends on levels of known risk factors, and indeed, much of the association disappears when correction is made for uh, obesity, smoking, blood lipids, blood pressure. And then perhaps an even more novel finding is the association of baseline CRP values, initial CRP values, with subsequent deaths from a range of non-vascular conditions, with the strength of the association with these non-vascular conditions being about as strong as with vascular disease. So by this, uh, I mean common cancers, such as uh, lung cancer, breast cancer, digestive cancers, as well as some non-cancer, non-vascular conditions, like, uh, for example, lung disease. And there are even some associations with the subsequent uh, occurrence of deaths from um, uh, violence and, uh, and other external causes. So it's, it's rather intriguing um, that CRP has such a, a wide range of associations with both vascular and non-vascular outcomes, although most of the vascular associations are accounted for by levels of known risk factors and other characteristics. Also, can you comment on why we think CRP at molecular level is playing this associative role? Also, just to clarify, you stress in the paper that interpretation should be cautious and that we're looking very much at association and not at causality. That's right. So a study like this one, which is an observational study, uh, can tell us about association, and it may help inform our judgments about causation, but it certainly cannot prove or disprove um, uh, the inference of, of causality. What we've seen here are the existence of strong associations of CRP with vascular and non-vascular outcomes. The fact that the vascular associations reduce markedly after statistical adjustment for levels of known risk factors for vascular disease and other characteristics uh, reduces the likelihood that CRP is itself a direct causal factor in vascular disease. It doesn't eliminate the possibility, but it reduces it. There are other routes of information separate from the study which also reduce the likelihood of a causal interpretation of the association of CRP with vascular disease. And perhaps the most convincing information comes from separate genetic studies where looking at specific genes as proxies for blood CRP levels as more or less unbiased proxies suggests that genes which have an impact on CRP levels are not at all associated with the risk of heart disease. And so that provides further evidence against the idea that CRP is, is causally relevant. And there have been some uh, animal models in transgenic rabbits and mice which further reduce the likelihood of causality. But the matter is not closed. It's a question of reduction of the likelihood. As regards CRP and uh, non-vascular outcomes, such as cancer deaths and, and other conditions, here it's it's uh, intriguing, and I think uh, we're all scratching our heads, and it's very difficult to know whether CRP itself is likely to be causally involved or perhaps more likely an indicator of other factors that are causally involved, but perhaps of other factors that are as yet unrecognized, and therefore that, that could be of considerable interest. I think we should just point out that there are other blood markers of inflammation that show 
similar kinds of strength and non-exclusive associations with vascular and a range of non-vascular outcomes as seen in this report with CRP. And these markers include blood levels of fibrinogen, low levels of albumin, the leukocyte count, uh, and perhaps the erythrocyte sedimentation rate. So the fact that uh, there are other similar patterns of association seen with other inflammatory markers may suggest that that none of these markers themselves may be the direct causal factor, if if any are, but that they may be reflecting uh, a more general process of, of inflammation, which could be relevant. How would you conclude from this study and, and outline next steps? And do you think there are, at this point, any messages for public health or primary prevention of cardiovascular disease? I think the main implication from this paper is the likelihood that the inference or that, that the likelihood that causality is, is reduced in associations of CRP with vascular outcomes. And, and it raises some questions for further research about the relevance of the associations of CRP with non-vascular outcomes. Uh, in terms of the type of research that might be interesting um, for, for further areas, is really how to try to pinpoint what specific genetic, biochemical, or environmental uh, factors related to inflammation might be relevant to vascular and non-vascular outcomes, if indeed it seems that CRP itself is unlikely to be a causal factor. It may be of interest to look at, at other explanations, other determinants of, or indicators of, of inflammation, which could be relevant. I think an entirely separate question, which the Emerging Risk Factors Collaboration is now um, uh, beginning to investigate, is to what extent the measurement of markers of inflammation in the blood, such as C-reactive protein or fibrinogen, might help enhance the prediction of the risk of cardiovascular disease above and beyond the measurement of established risk factors. And that's a completely separate question that's not addressed by the current paper, but which this consortium with the data set that's now together and with the availability of, of robust methods will be addressing next. Professor John Danesh from the University of Cambridge in the United Kingdom, many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet. Thank you. And do look out for the comment from authors at the University of Amsterdam linked to this research article. Well, that's all for this week. Many thanks for listening. See you next time.